We continue our journey today talking about how God uh, has called his people to be holy, looking at Leviticus and what that means for us. Because if you've begun to read Leviticus like we have in our reading plan, uh, it could seem a little bit foreign. And that's okay, because that's why we're on this journey, to familiarize ourselves with what God is doing with his people so that we can figure out what that possibly means for us and how we live today. So we're going to go on that journey a little bit and talk about the lifeblood sacrifice that is all throughout Leviticus, all over from prayers and thanksgivings to God to when you possibly sin and you don't know it, to setting apart the high priests and the priests to work in the tabernacle um, and throughout. So uh, it's going to be a fun ride. But before we do that, I want to talk about fall, because I love fall, and the last few weeks have been glorious, especially because of apple cider. When I was growing up, my first job when I was a junior in high school was at the Apple Barrel. It's a place that's maybe a mile and a half from where I grew up. We stopped there at least once or twice a year to buy apples. They always had those old-fashioned candy sticks. How many of you remember old-fashioned candy sticks? They had those for like a penny because I was was a lot younger back then. And it was just a wonderful thing. So uh, Mr. Varian needed some help, and I got a job there my junior year. I would go in after school, and I would pick apples in the fall. Uh, We used to trim trees in the winter. And for the most part, it was a great job, other than Saturdays. Saturdays was apple cider day, and apple cider is glorious to drink, but making apple cider, not so much in my book. Uh, I was the load the apples in the top conveyor belt so they could go down the conveyor belt and get chopped up, and then there were two other ladies that would fill it into the pummel rags and fold the rags in, put the next slat on and whatever, and then when we had a stack, they would put it under this big hydraulic jack. And it would squish out all the glorious, wonderful apple cider. And I tell you what, Mr. Varian made exactly the same apple cider every time. He would do three crates of this apple, three crates of this apple, three crates of this apple until we were two-thirds full. And then he would augment his order, and it was spot on every time. It was glorious. The other job I had, which was the terrible part, was emptying the pummel rags. The stuff would come out of, the, out of the press, and I'd have to take off the boards and pick up these cold, slimy, wet wool blankets and go out a door into the freezing cold and shake them off onto this flatbed trailer that was just plywood. And it was slippery, it was nasty, and the worst part of all of that is by the end of the day, my hands were black. You know how you cut an apple and it turns brown really quick? Well, just imagine playing with your hands in apple cider for four or five hours. And it was black, and they would never come clean. It would take three or four days for it to wear off. And I was a little bit embarrassed because, you know, when you're a junior in high school, you're trying to be cool, as cool as I could be back then, and you're trying to fit in and walking around with stained, nasty hands. It just didn't work. Maybe you've had a similar experience where... You worked on your car and your hands got awful and you couldn't get the grime and the grease off. 
or you're working on a staining project and you got a little zealous with the stain and now you got black or brown hands for three or four days. Or you had a bad day like this kid. I've never dyed my hair, nor do I ever have a desire to dye my hair. And that is why. This kid looks like he attacked a smurf with his hands and his head, and it oozed all over him. You wonder how long that took to wear off. And the thing about getting dirty is we want to be clean. I would guess that everybody in here showered, or the majority of you, outside of maybe uh, junior high or two, I would, I would guess that the majority of you took a shower or a bath last night or this morning, and you thought about what you were going to wear, especially some of you older folks, so you were ready and presentable to come to church today. That's the idea that we get in Leviticus as we read and we look at what God is doing and what God is challenging his people to do so that they can be clean or pure or holy in his presence because he is close. He is right there and they need to be that so they can be in his presence. So I'm going to start, when we talk about the Old Testament in these first five books, I always go to Exodus 19. We read it a few weeks ago. It to me is the pinnacle that sets everything else up that comes afterwards. Before this moment, God has made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. He's made a covenant with Isaac, and he's made a covenant with Jacob. But there's been a long time since that covenant with Jacob till now. This moment here in Exodus 19, the Israelites, they're about three months from leaving Egypt. God has drawn them out. They've seen God do miraculous things with the plagues. They've seen God destroy Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. And three months pass, now they're at the Mount Sinai, and God wants to make a covenant, not just with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, but he's going to bind himself to this people. And this is the account of that. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, And what you are to tell the people of Israel, you all have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you out all to myself. I heard you and I brought you out to me. You are mine. Which, when the creator of the world says you are mine, that's sort of a good thing in my opinion. Carrying on. Now, if you all obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all the nations, you all will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you all will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to Israel. God tells them, I'm writing my name on you, just like in the movie Toy Story where Andy writes his name on the bottom of Woody's foot and writes his name on all of his other toys. He's taking ownership of them, which is a glorious, glorious thing. And not only that, he chooses to move in the midst of them. This is a picture, um, artist's rendition of what it may have looked like. 
Uh, we read Exodus and all the things about this tabernacle, this place where God is going to reside in the midst of his people, not on the mountain, not out in heaven, wherever that may be. His presence is going to be in the midst of the people because his name is there, so he should be there too, right? So this Israel is a very special thing, and God is binding himself to them, but that presents a problem. What happens if they don't hold up their end of the deal? And it's why in Leviticus we hear God tell Moses to tell the people multiple times to be holy, just like this in Leviticus 19. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Or a little bit later in chapter 20, consecrate y'all and be holy because I am the Lord your all's God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I'm the Lord who makes you all holy. Then he talks about how to be pure sexually, and he recounts that statement again. You all are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you all apart from the nations to be my own. This is a big deal for Israel. They are right in the driver's seat to be God's special people, to have a place that God's going to give them to be a great nation when they shouldn't have been a great nation because Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids. And that God is going to not only bless the world through them, but they're going to be involved in that blessing. But to do that, you got to be different because you are my people. You don't look like the Canaanites because the Canaanites don't follow me. You follow me. So Leviticus is all about when Israel fails to hold up their end of being clean. God has to have a way for them, one, to realize that they are not living up to what they need to be, and two, how God keeps himself able to be in their presence. And that is everything that Leviticus is about, which is why I like it so much because it shows God's detail in helping Israel to know that they are special. And it fits right along with what Walter said last week, that it seems impractical, but it is so practical if we go, okay, we don't sacrifice, but what does that look for us? What does that look like for us today? So I'm going to take some time and look at what this whole idea of sacrifice and lifeblood is so that as you read in Leviticus, you can go, oh, there are those four parts, there are those five parts that we talked about Sunday. Because this is really how it normally plays out when we talk about offerings and sacrifices for Israel. First, once you realize you are unclean or impure, that person or that people or the high priest had to take something of theirs to sacrifice to God. Now, there were special requirements for this sacrifice, for this thing. If you were rich, you had a goat or a lamb, and you would take it, and it had to be the best of the best of the best. Couldn't be the ugly, sick one that you don't mind losing because it's a little wonky. It had to be the best, the one that you're waiting to have on a birthday, the one that you're waiting to eat for a special occasion. 
If you weren't rich, you had to take some of the best of your flour or you needed to buy a bird or something, but it had to cost you something because getting right with God, if, if, if it doesn't cost you something, you don't learn why it was bad. So it has to cost you something, and normally it's something you would have eaten which is important because you live in the desert and having things to eat is an important thing. They didn't have grocery stores or Walmarts down the road where they could go buy a chicken or some steaks or whatever. They had to raise their own stuff and grow their own stuff. And so having food is an important thing. Second, the lifeblood of the animal played a special important role. If you think back to when God brings Noah and his family off of the boat and he tells Noah, hey, all the plants are here for you to eat, but you're also going to be allowed to eat animals. There was one stipulation that he gave for the animals. You had to drain the lifeblood out of the animal. You couldn't eat it because the lifeblood symbolized what God had done. The blood and the breath were the life that God gave creation. And you're created and you're not worthy to eat that. That is for me. And so anytime there was a sacrifice, they would catch the blood and the priest would do one of three or four things. He would go to the bronze altar, which was in the tabernacle, and on the corners of that there were horns. And he would touch the blood and he would touch the horns, not to deal with your sin, but to purify God's space from your sin. And if it was him that sinned, which we're going to look at here in a minute in Leviticus 4, if it was the high priest that sinned, he would have sacrificed a bull from his own stuff and he would have taken the blood into the holy place, which is where the table of bread of God's presence and the lampstand that was always lit to show God's presence. And he would sprinkle some on the curtain that separated that room from where the Ark of the Covenant was. And we don't have time to talk about the Ark of the Covenant, which is sad. But the Ark of the Covenant is where God's presence resided in the people. On the Day of Atonement, he would go in and he would sprinkle blood there to purify that space because the Israelites felt like or thought that their sin oozed into God's space and God's space needed to be pure. But the blood was important. And whatever they didn't use, then they would pour out by the altar out in the tabernacle. It all got used, it all had a purpose, and it was all directed to God. Third piece. What was sacrificed, and I put was totally destroyed. It was poured out and unusable. Not that you would use the blood, but if you sacrificed a lamb, when it was something that you were purifying yourself from, The lamb got burnt on the altar. The scripture says multiple times it was a pleasing aroma to God. It wasn't for God to eat as as the foreign gods around them would do, but it was simply showing that you brought this sacrifice knowing that you had done something wrong and you separated yourself from God and God took that as an offering and helped to purify his place, helped to purify you, and then the rest of that was destroyed because it was for God. You, it had to cost you something. 
it seems, in our day and age where we don't sacrifice, it seems a little bit weird, um, which is okay. But for the Israelites, this was normal day. How do I keep myself right for God? If they were happy about God doing something, they would take an offering and they would do the same thing. The blood would be poured out by the, by the altar and it would be burned as a thanksgiving to God. Every once in a while, in certain sacrifices, they were allowed to partake of the sacrifice that they had made. Showing this communion, this covenant, this binding together of God and his people. Uh, the Israelites celebrated some feasts, the feast of uh, first fruits. They would take some of their first wheat and they would go and they would offer it to God and they would have a celebration where they would have um, a festival meal with their families. That is a moment where they would offer yet commune with God. Um, if you think of Passover, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. Passover where God said, Israel, find a lamb, find a goat. The night that I'm going to um, carry out the tenth and final plague on Egypt, slaughter the goat or the lamb, collect its blood, wipe it on your doorposts, and then you as a family roast the goat, eat it with your shirt tucked into your belt so that when my spirit moves against Egypt, one, it passes over you, but two, you're ready to go. It was showing that God was saving them, and there was a communion in that meal. And that's why God told Israel to celebrate that year after year after year. So they knew what God did and that they were partnered with God. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. When we eat communion, it has that motif to it. So these are the parts that are always in sacrifices. And just for fun... I didn't put this on the screen. I just want to read you real quick so you can see how this plays out. I'm in Leviticus 4. If you have your Bibles or your phone and you want to go there, that's fine. I just want you to see and hear all the pieces, parts in the midst of this. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any way of the Lord's commands, if the anointed priest sins bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. So there's the thing that he had to bring. He's to present the bull at the entrance of the tent, meeting before the Lord. He's to lay his hand on its head and slaughter it before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall catch some of the bull's lifeblood and carry it into the tent of meeting. He is to dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord on the curtain of the sanctuary. Then he must put some blood on the horns of the altar of the fragrance incense the rest of the, board's the bull's blood, wow, should have read this before so you didn't get tongue-tied, Wally. The rest of the bull's blood shall be poured out at the base of the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And then he gives what they do with the pieces, parts of the offering. So as you read Leviticus, you will see this pattern of things in sacrifice show up almost all the time. And the point is this, God is reshaping Israel to not look like the world around them, but to be his, to be his royal priesthood, to be his holy nation, to be who the world around them looks at and goes, oh, 
They are the people of Yahweh. That's why they're a little bit crazy in a good way. That's why he gave them the Ten Commandments, so that they lived life differently, where time was centered around their God, where their sexuality was centered around their God, where their care for their neighbors and not stealing from their neighbors or coveting their neighbors was set around God. He wants his, be, he wants his people to be different, and he wants them to be holy, and so he makes a way for that to happen because he's God and he wants to be close to his people. Unfortunately, if we follow Israel's story over the next year as we read through Scripture, we'll see that Israel fails at this miserably and God sends them into exile and his presence in the temple, the tabernacle, is taken away. And yet, as we read this, just as Walter said last week, while it seems impractical, the problem is Leviticus is too practical. I don't think it's a problem. I think it's a good thing for us because it makes us step back and go, okay, we're not living under all of the things that Israel was living at, but we are in a similar covenant with God through the blood of Jesus. And so we probably should ask some hard questions of ourselves. And I wrote down some, some questions here and... Maybe these will sting to you. Maybe it'll make you to be really reflective this week. That's a good thing. Because God wants us to be his holy people, his royal priesthood and his holy nation in the midst of the world that we live in today. And that means we're going to look different and act different. And we're going to look to him to define who we are. So here are some questions. Do you or do we even think about how we're being unclean or unholy throughout the week? Do you think about being God's treasured possession while you're flipping channels and stopping maybe where you shouldn't? Do you think about that as you spend hours and hours on social media rather than maybe reading God's Word? Maybe it's keeping your eyes where they need to be while you're out in public or not wishing you had what your coworker had. Do we understand that God is right here? Just like he's in the midst of his people in the tabernacle temple, I believe that God is present with us because we are his people and he's given us the Holy Spirit which is present and... Uh, him being present, how does that change how I live? If the president walked in or if somebody you felt extreme honor to walked in, you would act different and be different while they were here. And so how do we get that to carry on in our everyday living? Are we allowing God to reshape us? And the harder question is, are we reshaping our lives to reflect God. And I know those are hard questions, but those are the questions that we need to constantly ask ourselves so that we are constantly moving towards God so that we can be his people, so he can move through us and we can be the church that he wants us to be. Because even though Israel failed at being holy, 
and following God, just like with the Passover where God had the people sacrifice a lamb and eat it and use the blood so that God's spirit would pass over them in the wrath that he was giving. Uh, God moved through his son on the cross. On the weekend of the Passover celebration that the Israelites had. And so on the cross, Jesus was crucified. And if we look at what it cost God, it cost God his son. He wanted to bind himself to us to the point where he would send his own son to the cross. And that his son's blood was shed for us and that he died. good thing about God is he raised his son three days later and uh, he deals with our sin so that we can then be buried in the water through baptism and raised to new life to be a part of this thing that God is doing. And so as we celebrate around the table today, I want to challenge you to think about what God is challenging you with as we read Leviticus. What's he challenging you to let go of in your life that isn't very godly? And then what are you going to do to fill that space with God? Uh, We're going to have a time of reflection and response. Around the room, there's communion with a piece of bread that represents Jesus' body broken for us and a cup of juice which represents Jesus' blood shed for us. We get to share in the sacrifice showing that we are in covenant and in community with God. And so as you come, I challenge you to think about what you need to change so that you can live more like what God wants you to live. If that means you need to have a conversation with somebody, Uh, There's some elders around the room. I'll be up front here. You know, come up and say, hey, I got to confess this. I need help with getting this out of my life. Or fill out a Connect card, throw it in a box if talking to somebody is too scary today. Or give us a call or a text or an email, and we'll reach out this week. And we will begin the journey to go towards God with you. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then Abakuk and Jaden are going to come up and lead us in some worship. As you come, may you find joy in this sacrifice that God made for you and for me. And may you allow God to draw you closer to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for... uh, the example that your word gives us. That you allow us to have the story of your journey with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That we get the story of your journey with uh, the people Israel. That we get to see your love for them that we get to see how you are true to your side of your covenant with them. And that in that we can learn how we are to live 
and hold up our end of this new covenant that you made with us through your Son on the cross. Lord, my prayer today is that as we eat this piece of bread and this cup of juice, and we remember what you did, and that we celebrate in this covenant with you, that you challenge us to our core. As we eat, help us to think about and take action to rid ourselves of things that make us unclean so that we can be your holy people, your royal priesthood, and your holy nation that shines your good news that you are near to this world. May you find joy as we celebrate around your table. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Come and share in the body and the blood of Jesus.